Welcome to Someone Else's Movie, the original podcast where an actor, writer, director, or nebulous industry figure gives a little love to a movie they didn't make. I'm Norm Wilner, senior film writer for Now Magazine, and this is The Other Thing I Do. My guest this week is Henry Gaydon, a screenwriter whose credits include the Fearnet series Zombie Roadkill, the charming found footage sci-fi movie Earth to Echo, and some little picture coming out this week called Shazam. I don't know, you probably haven't heard of it. We recorded this a little over a year ago when the film was shooting in Toronto, and I'm delighted to finally be able to share it. Henry picked L.A. Story, the 1991 comedy in which writer, producer, and star Steve Martin married magic realist romance and silly Southern Californian superficiality for a truly lovely little film. A story about a Los Angeles weatherman named Harris Telemacher who has a good job, a comfortable life, and a nagging sense that his life isn't quite what it should be. And that's exactly when a highway road sign starts offering him advice. Steve Martin had already established himself as a deft romantic lead with Roxanne a few years earlier, but this was a bigger swing, putting himself opposite his real-life partner, Victoria Tennant, and inviting a wonderfully eclectic cast, including Sarah Jessica Parker, Richard E. Grant, Mary Lou Hanner, Kevin Pollock, Iman, and plenty of others, to tell a story with real feeling rather than the default irony in which so many comedies cloak themselves. It's a charmer, and while it's sort of been rediscovered since we recorded this episode, it hasn't been rediscovered enough. So I'm glad that we got the chance to talk about it. We also somehow ended up discussing kaiju movies, and uh, Dexter got fussy at one point, but eh, that's the show. This is someone else's movie. It's the first movie I chose as my own um, in a formative age, and so it's traveled with me through kind of every age, and it's been very kind of important and informing... um, how I view the world and, and also how I approach writing. Um, but what was interesting is that like, strangely enough, um, I guess I've reached a point where I like don't need to refer to the movies that have meant something to me in a long time. So I haven't watched it in, in, in more than a decade at this point. Oh, wow. And I rewatched it and, uh, and I was like, ah, some of these, just it's like some of this hasn't aged well. Like, and, and like, there were always some jokes that um that I never liked even as a twelve year old. Okay. Like like the Mozart's balls jokes. I don't did you watch it? Uh not recently. Okay. I think the last time I saw it would have been about three years ago. That's I'm just enough. I've been so neck deep in, in hot dogs and stuff that I haven't had time to oh, yeah, watch yeah. anything for pleasure or research. Well no, it's uh but no but there's like there's just like these there's just some jokes that, that fall flat. Yeah. And I mean I remember it really vividly which was refreshing. It's just it's all still in here. Yeah. The um well, the, the feeling that... I, I remember seeing it theatrically, I would have been 1990, I would have been 22? Yeah, I 91, guess. I think. Yeah. 91, okay, yeah. I remember it feeling like a first novel. Like, it's just got huh. this... I was surprised that Martin didn't direct it himself. I'm still surprised he doesn't I had to look up some things about that, because I, I was surprised about what I found. Because okay. for years, I until today, for years, I had always assumed he kind of... Um, uh, tombstoned it, yeah. you know, like where like he controlled the director, and he may have to an extent. But uh, Mick Jackson, who's a fascinating figure in his own right, yeah, he made threads. threads. He got yeah. the guy who made threads right. to make a delicate Los Angeles right. romantic yeah. fantasy. I understand why you get him to make Volcano, yeah, like you know, but like or Chattahoochee even, which was even his that. first yeah, 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 yeah. Americanish movie, right? The prison movie, right? Yeah, with yeah. Gary Oldman and Dennis Hopper, and then to go to this, it's just. 
that strikes me as something that Steve Martin would do, like a very perverse decision to get this filmmaker to make his movie. Well, yeah. So he, I can just jump right into yeah, the please. very little research I have because there's not much on this movie. Um, and I've, I've over the years read about a couple, read a few things about it, but it's hard to find because not many people talk about it. But um, so he was married to Victoria Tennant at the time. This was kind of a love letter to her, his wife. Yeah. Um, they divorced three years later. Never mind that. Lovely <laughs> gesture. I think he wrote it over the period of six to eight years, like off and on between jobs. Um, and his wife always had an interesting perspective on L.A. as a as a sort of an English woman. Mm-hmm. And so he wanted a perspective of someone English. So that is honestly like what brought him to Mick Jackson. Okay. Is he was English. Like, and, I, and he wanted a, he just wanted a perspective. And so I think, and what was this quote? I'll just give the quote. Yeah, um, sure. So in the interview, all that stuff, all the sort of lovely, uh, you could argue um, sentimental, but I love the touches with the, the, the Inya music and the montages and, and when they when they turn to children and yeah. are walking through that garden, which is maybe my favorite moment. Um, all that was Mick Jackson. Really? Yeah. Like that he brought this idea of trying to visualize love without words. And so he brought these moments um, that are, for lack of a better word, kind of montages in the middle of the movie. And then all the little weird touches of, of porcelain, you know, cougars in the middle of trees and all the, all the strange things. That was all sort of him bringing his own kind of um, foreigner's eye of L.A., um, which is why he, which is why Steve Martin hired him, and and Steve Martin gave him all the credit for doing that. That he said the script was just his dialogue and those scenes and kind of the poetry, the visual poetry of the movie, which is which is half the movie to me, uh, was Mick Jackson, which I never gave, I never would have given him credit for. Yeah, nor would I. Yes, yeah. because his films are not especially visually distinguished. No, I mean Threads has its own look. But, yeah, uh, Jackson's not somebody I immediately associate with like daring visual choices no. and the, the general tone of LA story and most of Martin's scripts there's always a sort of a cinematic self-awareness either they're genre pastiches or they're they're deliberately commenting on Hollywood you know stuff like Bowfinger and even yeah but even Bowfinger's kind of, I, which I really like is is doesn't like whatever third dimension that LA story has Bowfinger does not yeah no it, it uses its magic realism with twins and stuff and jokiness but yeah. it's not yeah, yeah, yeah. and the jokes are within the context of movie making it's all yes. very insidery LA story yeah. is yeah LA story is not about Hollywood it's about Los Angeles which is a different culture and sure. and at the time too just sort of a it's twinned in my mind forever because Martin's in both films with Grand Canyon which I think is awful yeah I do but people they... have turned on Grand Canyon something fierce <laughs> well so well, it's because it's too earnest yeah, um, but I, so is a story. But it not it doesn't it read in a bad way, right? The earnestness feels pure. Well, I'm very earnest, um, but but L.A. Story cuts it. You know, it really cuts the earnestness with um, like even in the montages, like he's doing something kind of funny, mm-hmm. and this while Inya's playing, and this very serious Inya music, and and sort of this Koyaanisqatsi like you know imagery, and then you're cutting to him kind of like picking his nose for a second, like. But I don't know. There's there's something. In those moments that um, that the movie never feels like it's taking itself too seriously, whereas Grand Canyon feels to me like it's trying to be the great novel of its time. You know? Yeah, maybe that's it. It's first novel versus 
like self-conscious treatise. Right. Novel. Yeah. I, I mean, I like Grand Canyon because like, yeah. so much of it is show, don't tell. And in a really insistent so way. So you love it. You really do like that movie. I, I, I really love I that movie. I haven't seen it in a while, I have okay. to admit. But okay. um, I have seen it a couple... I saw it a couple of times. The last time I saw it would have been, I guess, when the Blu-ray came out. Okay, so recently. Yeah. Yeah. Five years at the most. Yeah. And it's trying to get to something. It is. And it evades... Like It, it evades it. The thing eludes it, which is the problem. Mm-hmm. Um, but Kasten... I ran into him once when he was at TIFF with Mumford and we chatted about I like Mumford yeah Mumford's fine Mumford's a nice movie it's a sweet little no one talks about that movie no yeah but Grand Canyon is the kind of thing where it's like he swings for the fences he does he wants to say something and he doesn't quite articulate it no but there's just there's something in Kevin Klein's sadness it's it for me it feels like it's teeing up American Beauty but it doesn't know it uh huh and that's I think that's the continuum that it's operating in but American Beauty I would say why that movie works I still think it works um, some people are turning on that movie too sure yeah uh, but that movie works because it's got um, nastiness yeah. and humor yeah and Grand, Grand Canyon, Canyon has none of those it's very yeah it's very earnest it's got one laugh which is Alfred Woodard turning to Danny Glover and saying do you think we're the only two black people who knows <laughs> and it's a great line right yeah but I still like what is that 25 years later that still kind of feels like then it felt knowing and now it feels like oh white guy wrote that line it just totally it feels tone deaf to itself but he was trying to make a comment on the moment and it didn't quite land I don't know I find it fascinating but with LA's story well I feel we'll kind of just go on Grand Canyon for a second and by by the way in this interview uh, LA he says uh, that he told Kasten that it was LA's story the dark side yeah Um, oh they're very much mirror images of each other but I uh, I I, I find Grand Canyon the like equivalent of being cornered at a party by like um, a recent like philosophy grad, like, <laughs> I, I, and who takes himself so seriously. Um, I don't. I. 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 I, 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 I love Lawrence Kasdan. It felt like it was too much for him. Yeah. Yeah. But that, that's it was me. his one shot at being at making a movie that's about something like capital about capital something. But that's the problem. Whenever you do that, you it, you fail. This a, I don't know. Yeah. No, grand statements are hard. Um, Never start out with that idea. They got nominated for an Oscar at the time. People loved the movie at the time. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I just sense it's aged very badly. Yeah. And whereas L.A. Story feels timeless in a weird way. Just because even though like the Enya music should date it more than anything else. Sure. It doesn't. Like it feels... When that moment lands, I, I just I remember seeing it in a big theater with a with yeah. a big crowd and everybody just going, oh, like we all got it. We all got what it was intended to do. Yeah. And... I would have, until now, I would have credited Martin with it because when... And by the way, he could just be very giving in right. this interview, you know? Mm-hmm. And if you interviewed him now, he may be like, oh, that was me. Okay. I don't know. Yeah, I'd love to find out. But but it, it like when in his, at the time, in his books, in his comedy, when he went for emotion, it was earned. Like he would he would save it up. So much of his stuff was... Not cynical exactly, but there was a veneer of performance. He was all, like his, his stand-up was all based on the audience understanding what the character yeah. is, is doing, and that extends into a lot of his performances. Like all of me is a masterclass in, you know, finding angles on. Like depending on the angle you're watching him from, you can see a different person. Yeah, yeah, and it's incredible. Yeah, and with Ellie's story, you just get the sense that he's made a movie about someone who feels. Like Steve Martin must feel like successful but lost and mm-hmm. lonely and 
this is probably how he felt before he fell in love. And then you make a movie about falling in love, and it's just like, oh, yeah, okay, you've been thinking about this. Yeah, I mean, he, yeah, he even says it's not even a story about L.A., it's a story about love. Right. To him, which is why I love that movie, because when I, when I found that movie at age, like, 11, which is a strange movie to cotton to at 11, um, I had never been to L.A. I didn't know what L.A. was. I, and, and, and I didn't watch that movie going, like, pointing my finger at the screen and going, ha-ha, L.A., is so silly, like... It wasn't about that, you know. Yeah. It was something about it that got to like my heart, you know, as a little kid, you know. Yeah. Well, if you're making, I mean, if the story is about love, yeah, then it has to be about authenticity. And if you're making a movie about Los Angeles as an inauthentic place where a real emotion is you know, like striking perfectly people, set, you can totally relate to that. Yeah, right? like I, yeah. I don't think no, I didn't go to Los Angeles until the next year. My first trip was in '92. Yeah. I did a bunch of junkets that year, and then movie works for people who don't even know Los Angeles. Yeah, yeah. you just know that that's where people are. Posturing uh-huh. and being fun, but we're all doing that in yeah. some ways. Yeah. Yeah, 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 exactly. And and some heightened version of that. Yeah, and I've said this on the podcast a number of times. I'm sure it's like my my kryptonite is movies about smart people who are blindsided by their own hearts, but people who <laughs> think they can intellectualize everything and then. Well, give me an example. Oh, um, the sure thing is actually a really good one from around the same era. Okay. Yeah, just because. Oh, wait, that's, wait, so that's what that's what really can hit you hard? Well, just watching people stumble through yeah. emotion. And, yeah. you know, it doesn't have to be a love story. Sometimes it can be uh, a story about people confronting their own mortality. But just generally, you know, I spend so much time in my head professionally that yeah. uh, and, and judging my ex- my responses to things. Like just watching Rampage is like, I'm really enjoying this. Is that right? Am I <laughs> yeah. is, this, is this pulling on my video game brain? from when I was a kid and, and liked Rampage or is this actually am I appreciating the artistry that has put together this movie and it's like oh I finally realized no this is the movie that like I love Gareth Edwards Godzilla did you? yeah I did not see? okay Rampage Why? is the movie I just because I, I love the idea of a mythic Godzilla film because that's always been I do too I, my I interpretation of it I respect right? like that the, okay. that he is a, an elemental force it, it's in the Toho films but it never really was articulated that well because they're always just pointing at children, really. But the first one, King of the Monsters, mm-hmm. the, the the original Gojira, he is the world smacking back at us. Right. And so this thing, the idea that he's sort of the, the world's antibody who shows up to be yeah. real threats and that we can only really see him through that prism. And so the movie is kind of missing him a lot. And just that, that huge smackdown sequence at the one hour mark, which is immediately like that elemental Beautiful. roar. And then we cut to him yeah. TV set and the people were like, I want to see the monster punch the monster. And it's like, that happens all the time. Rampage is a movie for that. For right. Rampage is the daylight monsters punching each other, people running around with carnage. It's, it's a lot of fun, yeah. but it is completely like earthbound. Okay. And it doesn't try to pull on that Malick string that, that Edwards was chasing, which I just thought was such a really... Yeah. But no character. Into it. No characters I cared about. Didn't know what character was the main character. See, I didn't mind like, that because the, my, my other theory... It was just the theory, atmosphere of the, of, the, of the monster. Yeah. Well, my okay. other theory of Godzilla is it's in Cloverfield, which is that when the monster shows up, you're dead. Like, you're, you just run. That's mm-hmm. all humans can do. We, okay. we can maybe help. But only if we understand what's going on. And so, you know, when Taylor Johnson takes the bomb out or blows up the, burns down the eggs, that's his function. Uh-huh. And he's really just, like, contributing a, as little as he can, what little he can to this monster. Okay. And I was totally fine with it. Okay. Um, and, and then, you know, 
Pacific Rim comes along, and that's again, that's just action figures and monsters and toys worse, worse to playing me. with each other. Oh, that's no. worse. Yeah, no, I just it's... I'm being terrible. I'm being a bummer. All right. Oh no, 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 no. But 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 that's like that's my response to Rampage. Eventually, clarified into oh no, this is why I like it. It's because it's utterly unpretentious about what it's doing. And it's inventive, and it's got a couple of actors who are just clearly having fun with it, yeah. and also digital effects that look pretty good. Right. So I'm fine with it. But um, but with L.A. Story, you have a character who is constantly questioning the world around him, even if it's only in a sort of a wry sense. He's mm-hmm. not cynical, exactly. He's just... He's not running from it. You no, know, he's just in a bit of a rut, and yeah. he's successful but unfulfilled. And then he meets someone who completely resets his internal compass and it turns out Steve Martin's really good at that like just that that inner struggle is great and making him articulate people you know people said it was kind of a Woody Allen West Coast movie which just because people talk a lot yeah I I never really bought that either yeah Um, and it's much warmer than a Woody Allen film like it's really not afraid of it believes in in this love yeah sort of I mean even the statement he says with like a kiss is not may not be the truth, but it is what we wish were true. Like, the, even yeah. that statement, which is about the kiss not meaning something, is meaning something. Yeah. 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 It's just, it's so, it's so wide open uh, and yeah. in conversation with romance, not romantic comedies. Like, it, it is, it's the work of a guy who has spent a lot of time thinking about it. And figured that maybe this is his one shot to say something meaningful. But he's not trying to make a grand cultural statement. He's just talking about people. And that's, yeah, that's, I think, why... Which is what makes the grand... That's actually, to me, the difference between Grand Canyon. What You make a grander statement by not trying to make a grand statement. So by just speaking in the micro, you can actually hit a very sort of macro statement. Mm -hmm. Um, It's when you go for the big macro statement that you you miss people. Yeah. You know? Now you're just like, you're a New York Times op-ed. Yeah, I've never spent any time thinking about well I mean okay realistically I probably have but uh, just because of documentaries and stuff but I've never spent any time thinking about uh, race relations in 1990s pre-Rodney King Los Angeles the way that Kasdan clearly wanted me to but I've been in love I've found someone I mean that's stuff that I mean it's dumb right but if you write a personal story people will hook into it and it becomes universal the more specific you are about feelings the more likely people are to recognize it and yeah, he just he just nailed it. It's so sweet and and winning and, and yeah, it's just and and tenants great too. It's you know I don't want to put all of this on Steve Martin. The two of them together are really lovely. When a lot of the things that she said, he put in the movie. You yeah. know, like this is just a desert and it's just a place of dreams that people you know made out of sprinklers. Um, I uh, he said he just put the the words that she said about LA into her mouth as a character. Um, yeah, I mean, I honestly, the thing to me that always really uh, pulled me in is is how, I mean, it's almost the miraculous thing to me about this movie is how much uh, it believes in itself and it's so, um, like, earnestly open-hearted and also daffy. Mm-hmm. Like, it's, it's, it, it would seem like a schizophrenic film on paper like I don't yeah. I would, it would not make any sense to me if you put what I saw on film onto paper if those montages were written and Inya was put into yeah. the slug line I would laugh at the the audacity of trying to mix um, broad broad comedy with um, really heartfelt statements about love 
And I think that dance and, and the fact that, that he executes it perfectly and, and makes me tear up somehow in a movie that also has jokes about like getting kicked in the nuts and roller skating through museums and, 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 and does riffs on Shakespeare with Rick Moranis yeah. playing, you know, the grave digger. The grave digger. Yeah. I mean, there's just so many ingredients mixed in there that, that, that really inspired me and also, uh, stuck with me for a long time. Yeah. You know, I mean, just mentioning Moranis, that's, that's something else I was thinking about. Every time I watch it, there's another person in it who has become somebody famous. Well, he was famous. His, they just did My Blue Heaven before the year before, right? Sure, yeah. yeah. And Little Shop. And, and yeah, Little Shop, of course. Like their fourth film together. But, but, um, it's actually but, closer to retirement than he was yeah. famous. But, yeah. but the casting, whoever cast it, I mean, Patrick Stewart is in it for Richard two Richard E. Grant. Richard E. Grant is just Patrick wonderful. Stewart's so great. I love that scene. Yeah. Woody Harrelson. Like, there's all of these faces in it that I, I mean, I'm sure I would have recognized Stuart. Star Trek had been on for three or four years at the time, but it was just one of those things where it's like, is that Francis Farmer? What is Francis Farmer doing? Yeah. yeah I had Fisher. to look up No, the, sorry, Francis Farmer. I did say Francis yeah. Farmer. <laughs> Strawberry Alice from, uh, from Unforgiven, a year before yeah. Unforgiven. Yeah. His, his sense of who to pop in there, and yeah. I'm sure it was, it was Martin rather than Mick Jackson, because Mick Jackson wouldn't know who half of no. those people are. And the sense that everybody is just doing it because this opportunity may not come again. You may not get to make Steve Martin's dream project, and so yeah. why wouldn't you say yes? Yeah. But it's just, it's full of talent and people who just clearly are enjoying just, themselves. Just like John we'll Lithgow do anything. We'll do anything. In the deleted scenes, right? Well, no, I didn't even see the Oh, deleted he plays scenes. Harry Zell. Who does? Um, John Lithgow, who's cut from the film in the end, but uh, he's the guy, he's the sort of the specter. The, uh, oh, is he the agent that flies down in a rocket pack he, in that deleted scene? Yes, because you don't see him. Yeah. Yes, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. They I talk about that. him at, at the, I think in the coffee scene, at yeah. the restaurant scene. Yeah. He's mentioned a few times. But yeah, it's just one of those things where it's like, yep, this guy, of course he's in it. Why wouldn't he be? Yeah. Everybody wants to be in this movie. That scene with um, with uh, Patrick uh, Stewart, the Lidio scene, I mean, yeah. I still reference that with my wife because that is, that is, that is, that is just truly what it is to make a reservation in a nice restaurant. <laughs> and, and, and love, I love that you have to go there to improve and show your bank, you know, your bank yeah. account. Uh, I love that scene so much. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But really, I mean, the thing, the thing to me, um, that, that, that just stays with me is, is, is honestly, weirdly what Mick Jackson, I guess, did in this movie. I mean, this, this scene, and I'm sure Steve Martin had a hand in it, but to think of a scene, uh, where they're just walking through a garden holding hands and then and then they turn into children and then these stone sculptures of lions sort of bow down before them. Yeah. And then, you know, in the next scene there's a fart joke. Like I that that kind of mix really uh goddamn I just I can't I can't believe it happened. Yeah. And I, and it and it really I think when I started writing um in earnest, uh it really made me believe in the possibility of uh, because the only kind of comedy that I do well, if I do it at all, is uh, is characters completely believing in what they're saying and doing, um, and not having any idea that it's objectively hilarious. Right, right. right. Um, and 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 finding a way to mix us being able to laugh at them and and love them uh, is that sort of perfect recipe, and for what I can do. Because most of the time, I'm I'm pretty earnest. And my friends who know me laugh at me because of what I'm saying. And I'm like, no, 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 but you don't get it. Like, right, but, yeah. but, but they do. And that's what's funny to them about me. Yeah. Um, and so I, there, there was something about this movie that really like forged that. 
um, huh. and and made me kind of believe in the absolute just ridiculousness of who we are yeah. as human beings going around espousing our views and 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 how just how preposterous we all are and yet yet we all just you know want the same things and like are looking for something simple yeah you know I, was it shoot was it Billy Wilder somebody said that uh, I think it was I think it was about um, I think it was about Baxter in um, in the apartment yeah. is that desperation is the extension of desire and that's why it's funny because yeah. if you really want something you really want it and eventually you want it more than anybody else does and everyone else thinks you're crazy yeah like you become a loon because of your enthusiasm because right. of your intensity in, in trying to articulate what you want and in in well, what you were saying about the the garden scene being followed by a fart joke it's like to me that has always been like that contradiction yeah. it's not even a contradiction it's just it's not a, you're right it's but just it would a flow like right yeah. that is what happens when you like that's what I mean about smart people being thrown for a loop by their own emotions because you fall in love and the rest of your world is the same you still go to work you still have a build up from you know like the stuff on your desk from the day before you met this woman or this man right is but there's this humming little yeah light somewhere nothing has yeah. changed and everything has changed yeah yeah and so the rest of the world is still going to be mundane and distracting and yeah. not interested in, you know, like Harris Telemacher, having met the woman of his dreams, still has to talk about the stupid weather that isn't changing, uh-huh. right? Like, the world literally doesn't change, yeah. but he's different. The and film, Mommy, what was it? Slice Up Mommy. Like, yes. Yeah, sorry, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, exactly. The The world is still just as banal and, and empty, yeah. uh, except that everything now has meaning because he feels he has purpose. And... and that's that's beautiful. It that's is beautiful. It's beautiful yeah. to see yeah. someone get it, because that's what novels are for. That's what poetry and sonnets and things are for yeah. to articulate how everything is different. And is it because is that what makes it seem like a first novel to you? I think so. That because yeah. it's kind of wide eyed and um, and ready sort of. To, it's yeah, it's a little wide eyed. It's wide eyed, but yeah. it's also packed with things that he wanted to share. Like the it, that's right. that's the thing about the first novel. Like you write everything because you and may never actually, get another shot. I think it actually, in some ways, is his first novel, even though it's not a novel. Because after that, that's when he really started churning out um, pure um, pure drivel, pure drivel, yeah, and shop, then girl. shop girl, and his play Picasso with the the Panagilia. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, I but I think. I think this was his first real piece of writing. It's like his declaration. Cruel yeah. Shoes had been out. Like the, the, what happened? The book Cruel Shoes was published in the 70s. It was, was his it? first collection of short okay. fiction. Okay. But it was, there are a couple of, uh, there's nothing in it that's serious. It's all very absurdist. His early, like his comedy in the 70s. Yeah, and it's it's great. It's a fun read. Yeah. But, and Pure Drivel is absurdist too, but I love it. Yeah, Pure Drivel yeah. is where there's a little more weight to it. Like yeah. he's, he's being absurd about things that matter. Mm-hmm. Cruel Shoes had, like the title story is about a woman who goes shoe shopping and can't find anything she likes until they bring out the cruel shoes, which just mutilate her feet, but she loves them because they're... It's just the extension of the joke okay. about women buying shoes that hurt. Yeah. But uh, it's it's really horrible. <laughs> the descriptions are very, very brutal and violent. Yeah. Um, but it's like he was trying not to show too much of him well, mm-hmm. no I know exactly where you're going like his sense of humor is in there but he doesn't want to talk about anything important that's what his comedy was like a little bit yeah the, yeah. yeah he's trying to hide himself a little bit yeah and with Ellie's story he just opens himself up and says yeah I'm a romantic yeah and and sells it and, and plays it because um, I suspect it would have been very easy for him to let someone else play it 
if he hadn't believed in it. Like he would of course, of course, yeah. But I can't ever imagine that. But yes, yeah, yeah. No, I, I, it has to be him, one hundred percent, because that's the that's the truth of it. Yeah, but I could also see him maybe just panicking and, and not doing it himself. It must. Point. Yeah, it, it's. A, I've, I've never even thought about it because I've just lived with the movie for so long. But it must have been a very vulnerable spot, right? Yeah. I mean, in some ways, Father the Bride kind of teed up an earnest version of him. Yeah, but right? it's weightless. Right? Father of the Bride is. Yeah. I think was it Ebert or Kale? Somebody. I've I've, all, I've never forgotten this. The review that says that you know we're we're watching people say, oh well, we can just afford a hundred thousand. <laughs> it's like, why do I care uh, about you? And then Nancy Myers is like, huh. Yeah, um, the kitchen should. Yeah, be yeah, yeah. The kitchen should be under that exactly. Yeah, um, but no, but he must have been very. He must have felt very vulnerable. I wonder when he when he created this. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, he'd made and put it out in the world. Yeah, he'd made Parenthood with with Ron Howard. He'd played mm-hmm. a dad already. Like he played suburban. He'd normalized himself, I guess. And over the course of the eighties, yeah. he goes from playing really broad, really yeah, it's not lonely characters. guy anymore. It's not like yeah. the name with two brains. Yeah, like, although lonely guy weirdly feels closest to L.A. story. It's was so absurd though. Yeah, but it's the Even improv. L.A. Like, story is absurd. What the improvised stuff between him and Groden feels mm-hmm. like the groundwork for this. Okay, it feels like people talking about mundane things and making it charming and funny. I should revisit that now. Yeah, it's it's a mess. Yeah. Cuz the improv and the and the broader stuff don't mesh, don't fit at all. Yeah. But the improv stuff I think it was the first time I really understood what improvisation was as, huh. as a moviegoer. Yeah. Since it would have been 83, I think. Yeah. Just before Beverly Hills Cop, which is clearly just chunks of improvisation. But I remember seeing it and thinking, "Oh, this is a totally different kind of comedy. I've mm-hmm. never experienced it before. And then a couple of years later, I got into Cassavetes, and you really see it. Oh my god! Yeah. But but what he and what what Martin and Groden do in that movie is like there's realism that the film doesn't know what to do with. It's really fascinating. Wow. Okay, and, I'm gonna rewatch it. And unfortunately, because it's supposed to be a love story, like it's not interesting. Yeah. It's a distraction from the main plot. So and the film just is just like eh, get past it. But yeah, when they're just sitting together talking and and not talking about anything, it feels like you can see the wheels turning that are going to eventually produce L.A. Story. But L.A. Story, to me, feels um, completely written. Mm-hmm. Like, I think I don't think a line of this was improvised. I can't imagine. Can you? I expect not. Yeah. No, I mean, those feels, jokes are so precise. There really, really is some precision to it. Yeah. I, uh, and, in, in, and it's funny, because in so doing, like, I walk away from a movie, because I told you I wanted, I was thinking about doing another film, and... Mm-hmm. Um, I walk away from a movie that I love and I'm not really think I, I don't really I'm not really in awe of the writing though I'm very like impressed with it mm-hmm. but uh, it's not something where I can point to one scene of, of the writing it's really just kind of the feeling of the movie um, yeah it did feel it, it feels it, to be critical of it it feels very written and uh, and yet very real but it doesn't it, there's nothing that jumps out of the movie as a, an incredibly written scene there are yeah. all these little sketches it doesn't you know? feel yeah it feels written but it doesn't feel rigid not at all like not at all there's life in it there's life in it you're right I'm not trying to but I think there's something about it that maybe there's there, there's no real scenes it's a lot of sketches of scenes like and, mm. and, and they're, 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 there's no like very like I love the scene where he where he goes up to her at the end when she's rejected Victoria Tennant doesn't want anything to do with him she's found out that he's with Sarah Jessica Parker at the end of the movie and he does the thing that movies do 
where he's like, I'll read you a poem. I'm going to read you a poem. Like, yeah. what do you want me to do? I can say anything. And then I'm just like, you know, I just imagine what I said to you is, is the most beautiful thing you've ever heard. And it's just, you know, I reached down your throat and I squeezed your heart. Like, um, I love that he does that, but that's not even like, there is no, wow. It's interesting. I've never thought of it as a movie about that feels very real. There is no scene that's just striking and how real it is showing two people interacting um, like many movies I love that mm-hmm. are about love stories. There really is none of that, even though it gets at something larger that I think it achieves. Yeah. Does that make any sense? It does make sense. It's, it's, um, I was just thinking that this film finds room for the pointy birds poem, which mm-hmm. I have always thought, <laughs> Oh, pointy pointy. <laughs> which is, and it's such a great joke. Yeah. It's a great joke. You know that he came up with it 15 years ago and he's never found a place for it. Yeah. And here it is. Yeah. And it, it doesn't feel like when it happens, it is. I, I That's think a great example of some like a, it's absolutely patently absurd. Yeah, I think and it's my favorite moment in the film it's because genius. You are on the edge of your seat to see the second to hear that next line, yeah. and it can only be <laughs> one thing. And it's it's so stupid. Yeah. I mean, the the, the poem is so bad. Yeah, <laughs> but it is also beautiful, and I don't think it's ever gone from my heart. I just yeah. like every now and then I will just it'll pop up in my brain and go, oh, pointy birds, oh, pointy, pointy. <laughs> and he delivers it with such seriousness. That's, that's what I was going to say. Is like, that's, that's a perfect example of the patently absurd behavior of someone taking themselves seriously yeah. and why we laugh out loud at them while they're completely laying out their heart for someone. That That's a great example of Yeah, because it. it's the worst poem ever written. It's terrible. And he clearly holds it with such... So good. It's sacred to him. Yeah. But I also love a character at the end of a love story where someone is about to make a grand statement to get them to come back. Says, listen, I don't have a grand statement, but, yeah. but I could make one. And if you just gave me enough time, I could just imagine what it would, would have done to you if I made this grand statement that changed your life. And then you would have seen me in a different light and we'd see all this in a different light and we'd go off and we'd be happy together. Like, so just imagine that happened. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like, I love that. The desperation of hanging a lantern at that point. Yeah. Like, it's a great hanging a lantern. You just need to. Yeah. Because uh, uh, Dan Harmon used to do that. I'm sure he still does. Writing community, he would, yeah. he would famously script things like Jeff's dialogue would be, this is the thing I need to say in this scene to get us to the next scene. Uh-huh. And Britta responding, like, oh, of course you'd say that sort of thing. That's the sort of thing you always say. And just placeholder it. And then eventually, like on set, probably figure out what it needs to be. Yeah, I didn't know that. And, oh, there's a documentary on one of the community boxes where he is shown to do it. Like yeah. he actually describes it to the camera as sure. he's doing it and says, I don't know why this works. I can't do this. This is terrible. This is hacky. But he, he does it. Yeah. Uh, season five, I think. Okay. It's like he's writing the finale while they're shooting it. And we watch that happen. And it's just like, holy shit. I, wow. How would you ever admit to this? Yeah. Yeah. Because uh, it's everyone should do this. It's a great idea. But also you have to be a genius to be able to pull that off. Yeah, which he is. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, no question. But but um, but when when Martin does it in L.A. or when Harris does it in L.A. story, it feels like the desperation of somebody who really doesn't know what to do. And no. it's yeah. it's not, yeah, it's not phony. It's not forced. It's it's him being honest. Yeah, right? like he's he's coming clean. I don't have it. Yeah, but I need you. Yeah. Should we talk about Sarah Jessica? Yeah, I was, when you mention her, it's like, yep, that's somebody else we didn't even think about. Yeah, yeah, because Sandy is. Again, it's a revelatory performance from someone it who... It really is. Yeah, she was in Square Pegs, basically. That's how I knew her. Yeah, and I knew she, her from um, uh, Fly the Navigator. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, I was going to say, she played a lot of sisters. No, she wasn't a sister. She, she was, was one of the She worked at right? NASA. Yeah. No, she wasn't a scientist. She was like a, she was like a waitress. I mean, not a waitress, but she... 
I guess she cleaned up his room and brought him food and a giant robot. Okay. It was terrible. That movie's not good. Yeah, I don't remember it at all. Boy, I heard, do you want to hear like, just a side note about that movie? Please. Um, mm, okay. But no, my, my friend went to a party at Randall Kleiser's house, mm-hmm. who did Grease and directed Flight of the Navigator. Yeah, Blue Lagoon, yeah. He's Blue had a Lagoon. fascinating career. Summer Lovers, Twilight Time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But he, um, he really has. And so, at, at least at the time, this was about maybe 10 years ago, uh, Randall Kleiser had the ship from Fly the Navigator in his backyard, <laughs> but because it was, you know... Balsa wood, I'm assuming. Balsa wood, yeah, no, it really was. It was rotten and had all these holes in it, oh. and like, and, and it, was, it was like, it was a terrible, terrible sight to see. Like, just sitting there, like, like the back of Miss Haversham's house, like, just like right. rotting in the back, uh... Yeah, anyway. Oh, I can. It's a great statement on the film in a weird way. Like, just this little sad, neglected thing that nobody really yeah. like it more in their memory than. It's better. It's, it's so much better in the memory. Yeah. 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 Um, right. but, but Sarah Jessica Parker in LA Story was. Like, it's the. It's the color. The, um, the color rule. Uh, Bill. Was it Bill Murray? Somebody said. No, De Niro. Um, I always attribute it to Mad Dog and Glory, but I'm wrong. Great movie. Uh, yeah, totally. I'm totally overlooked at this point. Yeah. Um, but uh, De Niro said he was offered the role of the therapist, the Oliver Sacks character in Awakenings, but he wanted to play the patient. And his argument was, I want to be the color. Somebody else can do all the heavy lifting. I just want to be the one who people pay attention to and is interesting just because he's there. Yeah. And yeah. so ever since then, that stuck with me, the color role. And Sarah Jessica Parker is like she's literally bright colors she, in this movie, bursting with colors. Yeah. yeah, and she is doing stuff that she's never done since no. because I think she knows better than to repeat herself. But it's such an amazing, electric, thoroughly thought out character. Yeah, she's not a joke. No, not at all. She's and funny. you could easily make that a joke. Yeah, she's funny. But yeah, she's not an idiot. She's, she's intelligent. Yeah. yeah, in her own way. Yeah. yeah, she's emotionally... The only other... The closest I could think of is Jennifer Jason Lee in The Big Picture, the Christopher Guest movie. Uh-huh. But it's a little different. The artist. Yeah. She's an artist. Now, yeah. Right? yeah, she's yeah, more... Yeah. She's much more... Um, a... a uh, arrhythmic. Mm-hmm. She's... She's She's got an off. edge to her. Yeah, and yeah. she's just... She's weird, and I think there's a line where she finally says, no, I'm into ham radio performance art now, and it's just like, yeah, okay. I wish that movie was better. Yeah, it's so close. It's very close. Go ahead. But... but Sarah Jessica Parker finds a different way to be... She's not eccentric, but she is the kind of Los Angeles person who gets there because they can't be anywhere else. That's the only environment where she makes sense. Yeah. You know, it's funny. When I first moved to L.A., I, um, I was so terrified to move to L.A. in general. And then when I, fi- I went to school in Austin, Texas, because I avoided L.A. Okay. And then, I, and then when I finally had to move to L.A., I did. And uh, I was vomiting the entire trip. I was so nervous, <laughs> right? And I get there, and, and like, this isn't the reason why I didn't want to move to L.A., but part of it, I was kind of dreading the, like, so-called, like, superficiality and kind of trivial nature that you hear about all the time, and, like, these sort of empty people and these very shallow lifestyles yeah. and blah, blah, blah. And I was, I, as a, you know, a heady 22-year-old, like, I was dreading that. And then I spent, like, a few months there, and this sounds condescending, and it's really not. And in fact, I've probably become this, but, uh... But I realized, I was like, oh, it's not that everyone's shallow. It's just that, like, they... I always assumed they chose not to go deeper. Mm -hmm. But I was like, this is actually just as deep as they go, and that's cool. Like, and that's okay. Yeah. Like, it's not like you need to go down here for them. Like, it's okay. Like, we can just live here, 
and be perfectly happy and whole individuals. And that's how I feel like Sandy is like the perfect example of that, of just someone who is who is actually very intelligent in her own right and like has thought out her life choices in a lot of ways um, and just hasn't chosen to be as angst-ridden, you know, about her life and her choices as maybe someone else has. You know, yeah. and this, she's, she's just, and she's just okay with herself. Yeah, she knows who she is. Yeah. She's probably the only person in the movie who really does. Maybe Victoria Tennant, no? I think you're right. She's a little lost as well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's how they end up falling in love of with course, each other yeah, because they need, they're missing something. But, yeah. but Sandy, yeah, and Sandy will be okay without Harris. 100%. She'll be okay without the guy that she's with at the, t- at the beginning and end. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I love that. It's just so... It's like now... What's her boyfriend's name? She's like, oh, he's right over there. Oh, what is it? I forget. Yeah. It's so it's so it's a generic. I remember that. Like it's not a distinctive name. Yeah, and he's just got that ponytail and that long look. Go ahead. Yeah, and he's going to be you know a mid range director and work for Max, right. and he'll be right. fine. Um, it's yeah. I I think like now it would be somebody from Broad City. Like they would have to be somebody so neurotic, so like that we associate with ticks and behaviors and. Um, not not that that's bad, but the the New York energy would be wrong for. I, I hear you, yeah. Sandy. I, no one could replace what she did, though. Yeah, I mean, she, honestly, don't think they thought they got. I bet when she showed up, they were blown away, and she, they exceeded every expectation they had of that character. Yeah, it's got to be one of those things where the line readings make it. Like, yeah, you know, like Colin Tony on Galaxy Quest, and just redefines yeah. everything. Yeah, it's like okay, you have this, and also people need to study you. Because <laughs> she is like she is the embodiment of Los Angeles. She's too young for him. Mm-hmm. She's, I mean, she's she's sort of superficially fashionable in a way that nobody else is. She's following whatever else is trending, mm-hmm. but it doesn't diminish her. No, she's just trending. Like that's that's it. That's what she's. That's what she would be now. Right. She'd be an Instagram star. Right. Uh, and then you'd be actually that would be. Um, uh, Ingrid Goes West in a whole different movie. Right. But a very different part of Los Angeles culture. Although, I kind of see a... I see just, a connection to her? Now I'm seeing connections to yeah. Ellie's story everywhere. I think I think it'll prove to be more influential than we think. Well, that's funny you say that because I, 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 mean, I was a little self-conscious about it. I wanted to pick it because I think it's the I, the first movie I chose for myself mm-hmm. as, as something that I identified with and I wanted to to carry with me. Like like a piece of luggage, you know, yeah. um, but a very light and feather, you know, feather light one, uh, and and then throw in the faces of people as I as I got older, um, and 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 it really has informed me, and that's why I picked it. But on the other hand, I was very self conscious about it because, like, let's say, unlike uh, another movie that I consider Joe versus the volcano, there's like zero cult following around LA story. Yeah, no one really talks about it. When I do bring it up, some people are like, "Oh yeah, I like that movie," but like that's about the best I get, um, and most people don't even know what it is anymore. Especially people younger than me. Well, um, I think it's it's a casualty of its window, right? Like the the early the late eighties, early nineties. A lot of films that were released by certain video labels just have gone out of print. And Carolco. This is Carolco. Yeah, and and Mario Casar. 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 Yeah. yeah. Uh, but it, but also it had the the video rights were held by Live. Live. That's right. The first CD was Live. Artisan, yeah. and now I think most of that stuff is like the Vestron titles are coming back now. But I know that's terrible. Right, the like the yeah. junky stuff like waxwork and all that, yeah, which yeah. I'm fond of. No, I, I even bought a couple of those. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Lair of the White Worm. That's yep. one that I grab. And, and these are films that kind of, yeah, they deserve another viewing. But I don't know that LA Story can be repackaged in the same way. Like, well, no, that, point, these are genre movies. Like everyone's eating up Z gray genre movies on Blu-ray. But yeah, like yeah. I don't think LA Stories. How do you get people excited uh, short of the Criterion Collection? Like, right, and and then say you know, like you have to invest yourself in this. 
that would honestly be the only game changer. I think so. Yeah. And I, I'm sure they would love to get Steve Martin on board. I got proper special edition. Yeah, but uh, well, what's interesting, I mean, I, I love your perspective on that, but like, I'm actually un- uncertain that that the Criterion Collection, people Criterion Collection would even like this movie. Like, That's what I mean. Like, yeah. Have to, it would be a bigger hurdle. Although, they did just do Lost in America, so maybe. Well, uh, Lost in America's kind of been seen as Albert Brooks' masterpiece for a long time, right? Sure, but if you rediscover a Steve Martin masterpiece. <laughs> right. Know. No, no, look, I, well, I, maybe I like, shout, shout I like your optimism. It. I think Shout would be interesting. Yeah, but I... I um, but, but do you think do you think there's actually goodwill for the movie out there, or do you think there's just it's just, it's just kind of a blind spot? Honestly, at this point, I think with Blu-ray, special editions, physical media, has gotten to the point now where if you pull a movie out of a hat, there will be 500 people who will be excited enough to justify it. Does that matter? Yeah. I think, well, you know, the expectations are so low now. I know. So maybe that is all it takes. Like, maybe if enough people... I don't know. There must be there must be enough of us. Like, I'm almost 50, and I, I would snap it up in a second. Yeah. Um, you're younger but well, I'm 38 yeah yeah but that's that's still enough of a gap to suggest that there's another generation that grew up on sure. it that sure. would that would be interested so I, I think so plus yeah. like Steve Martin doesn't he's never really gone away he's he's on he's doing Broadway stuff now but yeah. he's still culturally as relevant relevant as he was 10 years ago at least I mean, he's not you know he's not selling out he's not what he needs. stadiums anymore yeah. but um, but he he's you know he's on the talk show circuit he's still he's still around right I think there's hope no I look I'm, I I want I picked the movie because I I didn't want to pick a movie that I didn't, I Blade Runner is my favorite movie what what can I say about Blade Runner that hasn't been said a million times sure no one talks about this movie I would love to talk about it but then suddenly when I was given the opportunity to talk about it I was self conscious because I was like why is no one talking about this <laughs> you know like it was it was an interesting thought to to go through and then be like ah, whatever this is the movie I, I love and warts and all that's the point though I mean it's certainly yeah. it's not the most obscure film that someone's brought to the no, show not really. um, it's you know it's a mainstream popular successful comedy it's it fits in the, the rom-com genre yeah. you know weirdly enough I would hold it up to something like Notting Hill as as an example of again the the, the sort of the yeah. intelligent colorful busy yeah. romantic comedy that is also about something there's I gotta say there's just like the the magic that that movie tries to to generate with Elton John uh, somehow works for me so much more with Inya in this movie of all things that's true yeah um, and maybe it's simply because Elton John stuff is in 1999 it's like it's already cliched yeah and Enya yeah, was already when it came out yeah it's the worst part of that movie when it came out yeah that's true yeah, but, that's fair but, but I like that movie quite a bit but Enya dropping an LA story is is the mood like it's yeah. just telling you no we're doing this we're going to be earnest and heartfelt and and mystical you know, like it's just right. like she had her moment and the film is part of it right and it doesn't feel like a cynical uh, appropriation of, of existing tracks yeah, and that's a really interesting thing. Is is it's very hard to make a, and it's a very gentle satire, mm. but it's very hard to make a movie that tries to say something about a city and be satirical and also uh, be. Uh, uh, there's just nothing cynical in the movie. Like that's maybe part of why I've always loved it. Yeah, there's like not a cynical bone in that movie. Yeah, the characters are. Some of them are. But the, yeah, but the not, movie, not movie is not at all. Yeah, you can those. it can show you cynical people all of, to the end of the day but like yeah I, I, I've never thought about that there's nothing there's not a cynical bone in that movie yeah yeah. and maybe now is the 
wrong time for it yeah discovered yeah no, we say that we're in a miserable cynical age yeah. where everything sucks and is awful all the time and and or feels that way and i don't know i i i want to believe that there's a place i mean hell call me by your name is as gentle as they come and it was embraced so i haven't seen it it's very it's gentle crime it's a film with almost no conflict yeah uh and and that <laughs> that is kind of surprising since it's about uh a gay romance in the early 80s in europe yeah, yeah. but people love it and who am I to deny people joy? Uh, I just I just sat there thinking, oh, this is really calm uh, as <laughs> yeah. a love story yeah. goes. There's yeah. like LA story has more um, agitation over over the romance. It's got right. complications. It's got obstacles. It's got I mean they're they're comedy obstacles, but they're still yeah they're real. Yeah. Should we talk about the signpost briefly? We should yeah. have a little like a little magical realism of the movie. Yeah. And so again, it's the kind of thing that sets the tone right off the bat. Yeah. This is a movie where these things happen. And just, yeah, it just sells it. Yeah. It's such a strange touch. I mean, you know he saw that sign, which we, which you don't see nearly as frequently as you do in the movie, mm-hmm. in a real L.A., but, uh, but just that choice. God, I love it. And I love that scene where the signpost controls her car, like where it literally like opens the doors and starts to draw the car down the street. And then he tries to force her back in. He's got the you know her back bumper like still in his hand. And, yeah. Like, she's threatened by it, and then they and and then the doors close, and they're just being driven by the post back to the sign. I love that. I love that scene. Yeah, it's just that one. It's that again. It's the articulation of the feeling that the universe wants this to happen. Yeah. And to see that it literally does, yeah. or at least certain parts of it. Um, and the idea that <laughs> the infrastructure of a city yeah. has a say in stuff yeah. is, is really yeah. sweet. Um, and it's just, that's it, though, right? Like, it's a lovely little grace note. And the movie would probably not be any different without it. Not really. Everything else. Like, if, if that was the only... the action of the movie. Yeah, but right. if that was the only element that wasn't there, ah, he would still meet her. These things would still yeah. happen. Um, but I'm glad it's there. Because yeah. it, it's a signature. It's an authorial moment where it's just like, no, I can do this and I can make it work. Well, I think you need, you need it, honestly, because you need a source of magic. Mm-hmm. Like, if you didn't have it, then it would be, it would be, a, the tone somehow wouldn't work because it wouldn't be anchored to anything. Even though okay. it's a strange choice to anchor it, you need that visual to anchor, like, what the magics come from. Right. Even if it's really not come from that. Uh, but yeah, it's like a totem. Absolutely. It gives us a thing to see. Yeah. To, to understand. Right. Yeah, okay. yeah, that's true. God knows what he's doing. <laughs> he just he just does. I mean, um, I I only I have met Steve Martin exactly once. I interviewed Did you? Him. Yeah. What 90, can you tell me about it? In Boston in '92 for the House Sitter Junket. Oh God! And I saw that movie so I I don't know why I liked that movie as a kid. It is not good. Probably because it was on TV all the time. Yeah. But it's oh it's not good. No, nope. it's it's you know, and I would say it is same the, time period like one year later '92. Yeah. yeah, but it is the definition of a problematic. 90s comedy. Uh, oh, is it? Uh, well, really it trying just, to think now. It does not like women very much at all. Who? Uh, Frank Oz directed. Yeah, Uh-oh. and Frank Oz was. Uh, he's he's just doing a favor for Steve. Clearly, like nobody really. You get the feeling nobody really cared about the movie. It's just a contractual thing, studio picture. But the chance to talk to him was. Uh, we, sadly, we were not one on one. It was me and seven or eight other journalists, and the conversations were going pretty like. You know, if you've done a chunk of it, you just know what it's like. The questions fly from every direction, and nobody wants to ask anything of weight. Yep. And because the movie is effectively about a stalker, even though I don't think we had the word for it then, (laughs) uh, we got to talk about that a little. It's just like, well, you're a celebrity. You must deal with weirdos. Uh This is obviously a worst-case scenario, but what 
if anything, did you bring? And, and he was totally willing to talk about it. He was saying, well, you know, uh, you, you want to believe that most people are very, are very enthusiastic and they want, they, they like you because you represent something that they connect to. And then eventually you get a letter that's been written or dipped in blood, which I have gotten. This is what he said. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And, and he was just, he was incredibly graceful. He's also much bigger than I expected. Uh, yeah. He's, he's taller. Built. Like a dancer. Because he's a dancer. Right? Okay. Um, have you ever seen his, the specials he's done? No. The, the, again, Shout Factory put out a box of his TV specials. That's right. I've There's seen one where he does a, a duet with, a tap duet with Gregory Hines, and it is extraordinary. Jaw-dropping. They hold, he, like, he holds his own against Gregory Hines. Do something. Yeah. But he's, I guess he's 6'2 or 6'3, and he's broad, he's, like, he's really built. Or he was in 92. He yeah. was built like, like an acrobat. Huh. And... It was just really shocking, because you you can sort of get a hint of it. There's like the thing I always come back to the scene in in the jerk where he's holding where he's naked and holding the dog over his crotch. You get a sense of how tall he is, uh-huh. but he's stooping and he's sort of moving in a weird way. And you but you can see like the muscles in his body are moving because he's naked, and it's like wow, he's like it's not a guy who works out, but he's a guy who does something to stay in shape, right? And then to meet him. 10 years after, 15 years later, and it's just like, oh, no, you're still keeping it up. That's, <laughs> that's really something. Um, yeah. but, but it all goes, like, it all gets pushed down in L.A.'s story. He, he's playing a small person or someone who sees himself as small. He does play someone who sees himself as small. And it, they both see themselves as small. Yeah. And that, that's how we get to the kids. Like, that's how we get to the innocence of it all. Yeah. It's, it's about him looking for something that's missing, and it turns out what's missing is hope. And it's just, again, it's so pure that it was really shocking to see that yeah. from the guy who made The Man With Two Brains not that long ago. And, no. And, and did... And the, Dirty Rotten Scoundrels. Dirty, like, that's you know, right. Great movie, but still yeah. very different. And the Virtuoso cameo in, in Little Shop where, oh, yeah. like, again, just you hurt, you laugh until you black out, basically. Yeah. He is, he just went for it. He went for everything and then he made this movie and he went for emotion and... It's weird that he's never done it since. Well, no, he tried with Shop Girl, uh, I, and which I liked the novella, but uh, the movie w- w- did not work no. at all. And in fact, it really shine, really shines a light on... It tries to make you believe in the thing that he's making fun of in L.A. story. Yeah. Even though it's, it's aware in Shop Girl, obviously, but it, tries to want, it wants you to believe in it a little bit or sympathize with it. And uh, it's... What a strange step to go to after that, you know? Yeah. I don't, I, I don't know. I yeah. wonder if maybe it's just the distance of time, like 10 years later, and he's retreated into his version of himself now. Like, the, 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 the book, I think it could have worked if he hadn't played that role. Yeah. In Chaparral, if it had been, like, Bill Murray could have done it. Maybe. Right around that time. Maybe. Like you'd believe it. Maybe more it was, the, it, it was the all directed. The tone of, of it was like... A, was actually a little, was tilted a little off. I think maybe yeah. maybe maybe if the direction had been slightly different. Go ahead. Mm-hmm. Well, the book just doesn't care so much about that character, and then because Steve Martin is playing it in his adaptation, that's of true. Book that's true. He's filling yeah. it more because I, I remember liking the book a little bit. Yeah, the book more. is. I mean, it's slight, but it's, it's a good nice. character study, yeah. and it sees the characters clearly. Yeah, and I think it knows that his character is more of a of a ghost in his own life than right. Steve Martin wants to be in a movie so when he plays the role it just automatically even though he didn't direct it that's a good it, point yeah. yeah it just sort of tilts it yeah and um, I don't know I, I think that was where I started thinking um, that self-awareness is something that 
changes in an artist, obviously, shifts and grows. And, and I think if he'd thought about it a little more, he probably wouldn't have cast himself. Yeah. But maybe that's how you get the movie made. It could ultimately. be. I, I, but it's interesting. It really makes me think of Cameron Crowe, mm-hmm. um, who's someone else who's always been a little earnest. Sure. And, um, and who I, who I, in my young life, really as, aspired to be and looked up to. Um, whose whose version of himself has gone done this complete 180 and I don't understand anything or his views on the world or love anymore in the least nor do I think he understands anything about the world and love and that's not fair but like I don't I don't know what's happened but it's like he somehow evolved from the thing we all loved and respected into into some sort of parody of what yeah. he was doing well Aloha was I mean yeah. that movie could only be made by someone who isn't like taking notes or questioning himself yeah. or editing himself it's yeah. it's the kind of yeah it's it's oh who said it it was somebody uh somebody said it <clears throat> this is my my worst quality is like i can pull these lines out but i can't it's okay i'm liking it all so uh somebody said it about kubrick about eyes wide shut it's the movie made by a man who hasn't left his house in 20 years uh-huh and still he, love that movie he thinks this is how people act. that's totally fair but yeah. but that to me fascinates me in the way that a bad move a pure bad movie which i don't think it's a bad movie but a pure bad movie is is worth watching because it comes from one singular point of view. Sure. And mm-hmm. like that had such a singular point of view, as wrong, wrong-headed as it may be, that it's hypnotic. Yeah, no, Eyes Wide Shut is fascinating. Yeah. But, uh, but it's like Aloha is... An incorrect, an incorrect sort of, you're saying, um, approximation of human behavior. Yeah, right. it's, it's hermetic. 100%. It's, it's yeah. the idea that you know people better than people know people. Yeah. Uh, and you don't need to do the research. You don't yes. need to think about. Yeah. You know, I just I get the sense that he had a note card on his wall for forty years that just said New York Sex Party, uh-huh. and eventually found the dream novel that became mm-hmm. Eyes Wide Shut. And was like, oh, this is where I can put it. Yeah. And with Aloha, just the idea that you can make that movie and cast those people and just do nothing with anybody. And and then have a film that ends where your music collection blows up a satellite and what I, I just while I was watching it I was trying to figure out if I was having a psychotic <laughs> and there used to be Hawaiian gods in the movie right cut out. right I heard about that but I but but even like because that is the most outlandish example but even something like Elizabeth Town which I, I'll even defend Vanilla Sky mm-hmm. but even something like Elizabeth Town feels like someone feels like a bad version of Killing Zoe trying to ape what Quentin Tarantino used to do. It's like this bad impression yeah. artist of a thing that Cameron Crowe used to do so well. And I guess I, I guess I bring that up because I I'm not saying I want him to do it again. Oh yeah, and God, I, I and I don't I don't think he can't. Uh, I, I mean I do think he can. I, but I think as someone who writes, I I I become terrified of that happening. And like and so I always want to like try to figure out what it is what it is that made Steve Martin, if it is just the simple idea that he had to cast himself in Shop Girl to get it made, why didn't he have the good sense to maybe shrink his role? Right. You know? Yeah. Um, or or in the more extreme example of Cameron Crowe, why, why did, how did he lose his North Star? Yeah. I just, I wonder if it isn't simply that success breeds confidence and confidence changes the process. Yeah. That you... You know, you make and almost. No one tells you. Yeah, no. you make no. almost famous, and you're the guy who made almost famous, yeah. and you took a, a huge leap there, and so here's a big leap that I think I can make, and yeah. it turns out to be the original version of Elizabeth Town, which was a nightmare. I mean, it really what we saw it, and oh, that, you saw an earlier version. Yeah, it was screened at TIFF, 
And oh my god, we were told immediately after the screening ended that it's not finished. Not before. Yeah, yeah. not before. And if we'd known, like we, it was, it was finished. How different was it? Credits, music. Yeah, it was longer. I mean, it was not good. But what I saw. So the tell me, the road trip was longer. The oh, wow. um, there was way more about the shoes. Oh, okay. okay. Uh, the ending, like he become his career is rescued because the shoes make a noise that sounds like that people decide sounds like an angel. Oh God! And so they become collectibles, and his career is restored. And yeah, I, I mean it's hazy because again, yeah. I was watching a lot of it. Was it worse or better? It was worse. It was, it was worse. It was okay. worse. It was it was like watching. It was just like watching a a guy bang his head into a wall without knowing it. It was like watching someone. <laughs> I'm, no, I got it. I got it. I yeah. got this door. I can open this and just opening the door into his own face over and over again because it's just you're sitting there going, it's it's the Simpsons joke, right? Please stop. He's already dead. Right, right. Um, what the, the, so that and, the, and 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 this is all connected to and not connected to it. Also, we can stop talking if you like. But yeah, but fine. the uh, but um, I'll do anything. So right, James L. Brooks. Yeah. So yeah. I just got the opportunity to see the musical cut. Oh my god! Right. There's a video store in L.A that um, has it for rent but you can't pay for it so you have to go they don't have it on display so you right. have to go and ask at the front desk they'll give it to you for free what is it is it a DVD is it it's a DVD and it's a work print it with all the yeah with all the musical numbers intact I feel like we shouldn't even release this part of the conversation because someone will swoop in and take it away no they don't know what store okay good yeah it's, how many video stores are left true but they'll have to figure it out okay um, so and did you watch it 100% and these are the songs that Prince wrote Right, these like, are songs that Prince wrote, that Twyla Tharp choreographed, um, that only survive now uh, to like the general public. The only thing we have seen of them, there's a shot in the making of on the mm-hmm. laser disc. Mm-hmm. I think it made it onto the DVD. Okay. Uh, a camera panning by a bunch of people dancing. That's as close as anyone else has ever come to seeing these. Things. I, I haven't seen that that shot. Um, but 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 to the, first of all, everyone should see it. Yeah. Who's interested in in, in in sort of filmmaking and also interesting in some like James L. Brooks is a great example. Terms of Endearment is one of the best scripts I've ever read in my entire life. The movie's great. The script is hundred percent better. I, I it is a flawless script. Yeah, and I've read the book. It's a radical departure. It's is it? It's a. It's, I've never read the book. The book's great, but it's much much more. It's McMurtry, right? Yeah, yeah. It's much more serious. Yeah. Uh, it's it's observational. It's not a comedy. Yeah, I'll put it that way. Well, um, well, no, and and this in terms of endearment and is is it's not it's not written as a comedy. Obviously, I mean it's written as like the movie, but it believes in the characters and mm-hmm. uh, and it's just. It's it's great, and so he is such a great observer of human behavior. Broadcast news is a masterpiece, and then you go into so then you said the comp what was it the, the confidence of what oh success success confidence success, success. Yeah. yeah so or creative ossification I suppose you could say I'll do anything is 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 if nothing if not ambitious yeah you know a musical satire obviously the player helped the like a musical satire of Hollywood and more specifically of making a movie and the test screening process and how movies get made and how the sausage gets made. Um, and it's, it's so wrong headed and, and, but you can't help but be fascinated by watching this knowing that James L. Brooks, who is in my mind, a, a genius did this yeah. and committed tens of millions of dollars and convinced Prince and convinced Twyla Tharp and convinced Nick Nolte to do it and to dance and sing, yeah. you know, and, and all the, all these things to, 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 for all the wrong reasons. 
uh, to say nothing interesting or original. Uh, and I, that's what's really fascinating to me. Mm-hmm. And LA Story is, is something that, like broadcast news and like terms of endearment, um, really has something to say, and I and I love, and and I think it really achieves it miraculously. Um, and then, yeah, sorry, the shop girl took me on a real interesting turn. No, it's fascinating yeah. stuff. The trajectory of a career is really like something that I've always been obsessed with because I'm terrified of all those <laughs> all those sort of pitfalls. I can yeah. imagine. Yeah, go ahead. But but the well, the thing about I'll do anything that I that you should see it. I would love if, to. if you come to LA, I'll tell you which videos. Yes, me. please do. Um, it's fascinating to me because I knew about the songs. Obviously, everybody did. But and some of it's the great. Time. There, there some of it's kind of great. The musical stuff. Some of it. Oh wow. Most of it's not. But what fascinates me is that now it is the perfect example of how musicals work, even without the songs, because all the scenes build to an emotional crescendo that never happens. Right. So, because that's when the song starts. Yeah. Like when you can no longer speak, when yeah. you can't convey your emotions, you start mm-hmm. to sing. And so you have all it's of like these. Blue balls. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You have yeah, all of these yeah. scenes that just don't end. Yeah. They stop. Yeah. But they don't end. Yeah. And it's fascinating. Uh, I mean, I remember sitting there and watching it and thinking, oh, yeah, this is still a musical. It just doesn't have the songs in it yeah. anymore. It's got. It's like almost getting into fourth gear and then it stops. And you have to reset at the end of those scenes. Yeah. And wonder what happened. Yeah. Because it's there's a hole in it every seven, eight minutes. There's something missing. It sounds like a Lars von Trier exercise. Right? Like Doesn't it's an it? obstruction. Yeah. Make a musical it without is. music. Without obstructions, yeah. Oh, that would be monstrous. <laughs> and and um and it's because he it's because he doubted himself. Ultimately, like I think, releasing it with the music would have just—I mean, the film might have That's still been like, a, a disaster. Well, it tested badly, right? Yeah. Well, so it, he, it, it's fascinating because it's, it's a movie that that almost hinges, at least in the first half, on a test screening process. Right. And there's a whole musical sequence about the test screening process, uh-huh. uh, and it's also probably the only movie I've ever seen actually really nail what a test screening process is really like. Okay. Like, there's a great moment, which I think is in the final non-musical version, where all the all the, the audience oh the cards the, come back feels right. the card. do you remember this yeah and all the executives are surrounded and there's just like there's almost I think a, a hold on them for almost like 45 seconds of silence as they're looking at the numbers and then they're good obviously and they're like the numbers never really mattered <laughs> you know but like yeah. after that but it's great um, but yeah it was just te- it test but uh, weirdly it tested the movie test terribly so they ripped it out and they reshot a fair amount I think mm-hmm. yeah but it's but James L. Brooks bowing to test screenings strikes me as really weird. I mean, yes, he came up through television and there's a community process and all that. Yeah. But it's just like, that's when you say, you know, I made Terms of Endearment. I have these Oscars. Right. But he was correct. I mean, he was should, though? Yeah. Shouldn't he have just taken the hit and released the musical version? No, it was, it was bad. It's, really? It's cringeworthy bad. So it's worse than it's worse. the film is now. It's definitely worse. Oh. But it has higher highs. It's like having a child. Like right. when it, it's like life is so much better sometimes, but also so much worse. And and and, and these are very few and far between the, the highs that he, that he achieved. No, he made the right choice. I think he absolutely shouldn't have released it. Okay. And and I think even in interviews today, he uh, doesn't regret it. Though he has hinted at releasing it. I'd love to see it. I mean, like that's I, the sort of thing that Criterion should put out, right? Because yeah. if nothing else, you would un, you'd come away from it with a better understanding of how movies work. It's very instructional. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm, God, I mean, it's just, I, I've, you know, I came up during the age I was, I was reviewing the alternate cuts, like the, the when the Lawnmower Man added forty minutes. That mm-hmm. was a huge deal. Yeah, me too. 
garbage movie, but uh, it is a garbage movie. The longer version wasn't necessarily better. <clears throat> better. Donnie Darko is a great example. Donnie Darko is one you where give the director the more, you know, you give him more money, and like he'll ruin his movie if he can achieve his vision. Yeah, he I can explain that with the obstructions. Don't explain it. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, I mean, I'm sure there are a handful of films that are more interesting in special editions and uncut editions. Well, Alien Three is a great example. Sure. Yeah. And then there's, you know, like Cameron does extended versions of everything except for Avatar. Aliens was worse. Yeah. Well, it's yeah. not, I mean, it's still great, it's but it's just, film. it's just, I think it's flabbier. That's all. You don't need to explain Newt's family, but yeah. But. Yeah, that's true. I just, I love the smart gun sequence and I'm just, just the, the nuts and bolts of, of setting them up. They're just the, the remote guns that fire on the aliens and explain why they haven't invaded for the middle hour. Oh, okay. It's fine. Well, yeah. We don't need it. Yeah. It's absolutely unnecessary. Yeah. But it's just a moment of ingenuity where it's just like, oh, okay, this is the future and there are other things. Sure. But it's like three minutes. It doesn't, it doesn't eat up the same amount of time that the stuff on, on LV-426 does at the beginning. Right. And yeah, that's unnecessary. It's, I think that was just, like, that's rightly cut because we don't need, we know it's called aliens. We know what they're getting into. Yeah, I yeah. also just want Ripley to be the mother in my mind. That's fair. But yeah. Yeah. But um, anyway. But yeah, no, I mean, the idea of, of alternate versions, I, and to bring it back to L.A. story. Yeah. I'm sure there are other cuts, right? Because well, this the trailer is, even has moments that are not. Yeah. Did you watch the trailer recently? Yes, I did. And yeah. Well, like the John Lithgow stuff. There's there's an there's another movie living out there somewhere in an edit bay. Yeah, and it's and it's. I mean, that's. You know, when you get into post, the most fascinating thing, and to bring it back to LA stories, is that, like, an a lesson that Judd Apatow I think has never learned, hmm. um, since Forty Year Old Virgin was a, which is his best, best movie, in theatrical version because it. Well, it's pure. Yeah. It's tight. Like when the moment it came out on DVD and was released in a long version, I it, I lost all air. I tried to show it to people and they laughed. You know, and it's a great movie, but um, but yeah, I mean it's it's a rhythm. Like you have to you have to like keep all these balls in the air. And LA Story has so many balls in the air. I'm sure it's like a it's like a song, and you have to cut funny moments. Yeah, I mean there are moments in that trailer that I love. That yeah, I'm okay. Just, I love the car phone moment. It's so stupid, yeah. but I love it. You yeah. know, um, but you, it, whatever rhythm they achieved, I don't want them to change a thing. Except for the Mozart's ball joke. Yeah, ball joke. Yeah. You gotta have a joke about Mozart's balls to show culture. Okay, I think yeah. I, it's weird. Like that, that that would be a joke that it it does. Yeah, it doesn't. Like it's just silly. It's unnecessary. It's like too silly. And they like hit it with the musical sting. Yeah, I guess yeah. that's what it is. Yeah. It's just a bit too much. Yeah. In a film where everything else is so precisely calibrated. Yeah. It just feels like that's the one where they go wide. Right. But there's nothing you know, like there's nothing as as simple and character based and funny and satisfying. There's nothing as good as the I could never be a woman, I just stay at home and play with my breasts yeah. all day. Because it's ludicrous, but it it that's sounds true. true yeah, it's right? True. Like yeah. it's just a moment of honesty from this guy. Yeah. And it's not like it's still not gross. He says it with a like he's no, happy. not at it's all. Not creepy. Yeah, yeah, not at all. It's no. not. Yeah, it's not sexist in a weird way. Yeah, it's and, like and about his, enthusiastic. His friends don't it. react with any kind of revulsion at all. There's like a, you know, yeah, yeah. That's you. That's you exactly. Yeah. It's him, and it's his again. He's expressing an interest in something <laughs> that is silly and weird, and yeah. so we get to laugh at it. Yeah, but yeah, it knows him. Like the, and again, it's the thing that I keep coming back to about Steve Martin is that he wrote a script about himself in a weird way that he'd never done before since which also as a writer is is um is very hard to do without either falling into the mary sue of it all where it's a flawless character right. and everyone else around them is learning that you have no flaws you know 
or uh, or it's a character that you hate, you know, because you have a lot of self hatred that's sure. like coming through. Like it's very hard to write objectively about yourself. In fact, it's only possible to do so after you've written it and realized, oh, that's a lot about me. You can't to do to start out writing about yourself is is I think one of the hardest things. Mm-hmm. I tried to do it one time. And I, 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 it is, it's kryptonite to me. I can't even pick up the first page. It is yeah. misery for me to even look at it. Yeah, and it's not. It's because the latter, not the former. But um, it's like all my flaws. I tried to put all my flaws into someone, and then it's just, like, oh, it's, 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 it's pretty bad. It's, it's a very hard thing to do, and it's, a, and it's a really an amateur mistake that a lot of screenwriters make, is they try to put themselves into a script, which is the last thing you should do. Mm-hmm. So anyway, I'm just trying to applaud that because I think that's, it's very hard to write yourself objectively. And then write yourself into a character, and then have fun with it. I mean, yeah. obviously, it's not him, but but I w- but I wonder if it's the a lot decision... of how he feels about life, right? And yeah. maybe the decision to write about the love story is what makes it work because there's just enough distance. If you you know if you have to figure out why they're in love and what the who these people are, then they're slightly different from you and your wife. To me, maybe that's his way in. Well, to me, my way in, if I were Steve Martin, if I'm pretend to be the genius that he is, my way in to make it work is actually figuring out the weatherman of it all. Okay. Like figuring out this weatherman who's just inherently absurd, his life, his sort of his lost kind of how he amuses himself each day. And, and that is not Steve Martin. Steve Martin works his ass off, right. like is on movies all the time, is writing, is performing. Um, he's not, re- I'm sure he's lost like we all are in some ways, but he's not lost specifically in the way that Harris Tellemucker is lost. Sure. Yeah. And so, and then he's got, he's given him an entire identity that's not him. And then that is the prism through which I can start to put some things I believe in about the world and love. That would be my way in, as yeah. opposed to as opposed to work, working backwards and retroactively to create the weatherman part, because that's so foreign. I think Steve Martin. Yeah, anyone. that's true. He's... It's such a construct that then going through the construct and making it real is probably the the better way. He's created a, a role of someone whose job is the simplicity. Boring, unchallenging. Yeah. Requires nothing of him. Bored so, beyond belief. Yeah. Bored so he can fill his world with other stuff. Yeah. Oh, bored beyond belief. It's poet. It's poetic in a way that it shouldn't be. Yeah. But it's again. He's just. He's. It's the alliteration. It's the fact that it's the work of a smart person, trying to amuse himself, trying to occupy himself. Yeah. Even his. Even his ennui is artful. <laughs> yeah. Well said. Uh, he's too talented. So, yes, yeah, so hopefully now we've we've at least got the snowball rolling and people will pay attention to the movie again. Let's hope so. I really want, like, I would hope that the feedback on this one is just going to be, oh, I haven't thought about that movie in forever. It's like, yeah, think yeah. about it. So is there, and we've sort of came up against it, but is there is there anything of L.A. Story that you've, like, deliberately used or unconsciously incorporated or, or spliced into your own creative DNA? I mean, I, I, I yeah, of course. Spliced in my own DNA is that I... I <laughs> yeah, I, I don't. I try not to take myself too seriously because I take myself too seriously. Okay. So I, uh, so a lot of just knowing how, like any story I tell about myself is usually a story that makes me look like an ass. Like, and I don't mean like a, like an like an awful person. I just mean like a buffoon. Right. Like those are my go-to stories, and that's my favorite kind of story about myself to tell. Um, and that's what, and I just enjoy it. So. The things about me that are absurd are the things that I like to tell people about the most, and I think that is the, those are the stories I like to tell about people, or people whom I love and I care about, 
um, who are just patently absurd um, in their own individual ways. Um, and they have no idea or objectivity about that. And that's okay because we're going to enjoy being around them. You know, like that's those, that's, it's a very gentle way, but I mean like, cause yeah, but that's, that's kind of how it's informed me as a person and as a writer. Cause I really, it took me a long time. I wrote very angsty things for, for many years. Uh, and I really, I really saw myself as, as a, as a dramatic writer. And, you know, I, I worked with Alvin Sargent as his assistant for many years and he's just a masterful screenwriter and um, I even wrote with him and I I co-wrote a screenplay and I've written dramatic material I'm not saying I'm I'm above it or or beneath it but it was a real surprise to me that I could be funny because I'm not a funny person and it was it was in discovering that I could be funny um, in the way that I I'm not really meaning to be funny and then that's when I figured out the success and that sort of all kind of comes from my story a little bit just knowing yourself enough Knowing myself enough, but then also knowing characters enough, like they don't know they're being funny. Right. It, that's the key, you know? Like, so, yeah, and like, so in Shazam, like, none of this is, uh, hopefully, should be come off as a real joke. Like, it's a real serious situation to these people, but um, uh, it's just inherently funny as a situation. Yeah. Yeah, I can see that. My thanks to Henry Gaden, screenwriter of Shazam, which opens in theaters pretty much everywhere this Friday, April 5th. Thanks also to Daniela Sayoni. She knows what she did. You can find Henry on Twitter at Henry Gaden, all one word, and you can find L.A. Story on a pretty nice 15th anniversary DVD from Lionsgate Home Entertainment. And as it turns out, since we recorded this episode, it's had a bit of a digital renaissance. If you're in the U.S., you can find it on iTunes, Amazon, Google Play, YouTube, and even Vudu. No movement in Canada, though, but you can find that DVD for 10 bucks on Amazon. Also, Universal released The Lonely Guy on Blu-ray and uh, didn't tell anybody. It's delightful. You should check it out. As always, you can find me on Twitter at Norm Wilner and elsewhere on the internet at NowToronto.com. You can also find this podcast on Twitter at Semcast, S-E-M-Cast, and on the web at SomeoneElsesMovie.com. If you feel like leaving a review on iTunes or Apple Podcasts or wherever you enjoy the show, that would be greatly appreciated. Every little bit helps. It truly does. Thanks for your support, and thanks for listening.